Amen. Well, welcome to uh, again to Calvary Chapel Feeling. Um, today is Youth Sunday. Usually, if you guys have been with us for any length of time, um, every time there's a fifth Sunday in the month, we have Youth Sunday. That's when the youth take over. But um, next week, um, <clears throat> Pastor Zeke and, and the Uganda team will be back, and they're going to share next Sunday, so they kind of bumped us up this Sunday. So it is Youth Sunday, and I will be teaching, and we're going to be continuing in the book of 1 Corinthians. Uh, but what I want to do real quick is give an update of the Uganda team. Right now, they're probably somewhere in the air, flying back home. Um, so they're on their way home, so obviously we'll, let's pray for them for traveling mercies. But I have a couple things. Um, I got a couple texts the last couple of days from Pastor Zeke and Daniel. Um, this, Zeke was saying that it's, it, this was last night, and uh, he said it's Sunday morning, so he's in the future somewhere right now, right? Um, it's Sunday morning here, and I will be teaching Johnny and Kimberly Lumber. They will be doing Sunday school. So, um, you know, I was praying for that last night. It's just, uh, it's been awesome. If you guys have any type of social media or anything like that, um, you've been seeing some of the pictures they've been posting on there and just um, what the Lord is doing over there right now through them and, and the work that he's doing. Also, I got another text from Daniel. This was a couple days ago, or it was, um, I think, Friday night. It says, he's, he, he texted me, he said, Yesterday we hosted a couple's dinner for about at least 30 couples. That's awesome. It was the first time they've ever done it. And a handful of people accepted Christ as Savior. Today we had a women's conference for 70 women. Many received prayer. And the men, they laid, they laid pavers. So that's awesome, right? Well the, well, the women were away at a women's retreat getting fed. The, the men were doing work. So it's, um, it's, that's, 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 that's just an awesome thing. Sometimes, uh, I don't know, I don't know if there's that that fear, like, I can't go to a women's retreat because if, if I do, then everything's going to be in chaos at home, you know, but, but um, I think the men can do, can handle some stuff, right, but um, they laid pavers, and um, we have actually some pictures, if we can put those up, maybe, yeah, they're, they're the men at work, there's a couple of little things they're doing, they started laying, I think that's Zeke with the wheelbarrow, so, so they're just doing some work in a <clears throat> and just doing some awesome things there. And then, he, then a couple of like uh, things that he gave us. There was four elementary school VBS programs, two high school, two home visits, couples dinners, women's conferences, minor construction. We shared the gospel message with at least 2,500 people and at least 600 professions of faith. And the body at Calvary Chapel Feeling is responsible for three building structures to be built within the next year. So um, that's awesome. Yeah. God is, is doing a lot of work. They've been super busy over there, and um, we're excited to hear. But, uh, you know, even though they're there doing the work physically and doing everything, um, we're, you know, each of us have been, that have been here and been uh, praying for them and been uh, even supporting them in that way. You're supporting the work there, and you're, you're very much a part of that just as much as they are. So that's just an awesome, that's just awesome how the Lord works in that. And so uh, with that, let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 7. Um, on the last week, uh, Pastor Gary taught on a pretty heavy, uh, you know, pretty heavy topic, and uh, that's that's kind of how First Corinthians has been. If you've been with us in First Corinthians, uh, the church in, in Corinth was dealing with a lot of issues. This the city of Corinth was very, very moral, very worldly, very fleshly. You can probably think of any type of city uh, nowadays. You know, that, that's the same way. So, because of all of that, that was in the culture, that was ingrained, that there was in the society, it. It, uh, it infiltrated the church, and, and Paul had to deal with a lot of issues with that. <clears throat> but let's pick it up in chapter 7, starting at verse 1. 
And we're going to get through verse all the way to verse 16 today. Hopefully, there's a lot in here. So, But let's read. It says in uh, chapter 7, verse 1, Now concerning the things about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to touch a woman. But because of immoralities, each man is to have his own wife, and each woman is to have her own husband. The husband must fulfill his duties to his wife, and likewise also the wife to her husband. The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise also um, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. Stop depriving one another, except by agreement for a time, so that you may devote yourselves to prayer. And come together again, so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. But this I say by the way of consention not of command. Yet I wish that all men were even as I myself am. However, each man has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. But I say, <clears throat> excuse me, I say to you, to the unmarried and to the widows, that it is good for them if they remain even as I. But if they do, if they do not have self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion. But to the married I give instruction, not I, but the Lord, that the wife should not leave her husband, but, she, um, but if she does leave, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and that the husband should not divorce his wife. But the rest I say, not, not the Lord, um, not I, but, excuse me, but to the rest I say, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he must not divorce her. And a woman who has an unbelieving husband and he consents to live with her, she must not send he must not um, she must not send her husband away. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified through his wife, and the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her believing husband. For otherwise your children would be unclean. But now they are holy. Yet if the unbelieving one leaves, let him leave. The brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but God has called us to peace. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, O husband, whether you will save your wife? Let's pray again. Heavenly Father, as we get into this subject, Lord, and this topic, Father, that you would, um, that your spirit would have full reign this morning, Lord, that you would give me clarity, Father. This is your word, God, and Lord, we want to understand it, Lord, we want to know it, we want to apply it to our lives, God, because we want to, um, we want to know you more, God. We want to be conformed into your image and to the image of Christ, Lord. So help us, Lord, to understand these things this morning. And we know that your spirit doesn't come back void, that it accomplishes all that it's sent out to do. So we love you and praise you in your name. Amen. <clears throat> well, uh, again, last week, uh, Pastor Gary, he, you know, he taught on some, some heavy stuff in regards to sexual immorality and all the things that are going on and how that just infiltrates the culture and, and just, messes, uh, just messes things up. It's so destructive. Um, since we've been in Corinthians, Paul is dealing with been dealing with the issues of the church. He's been dealing with all these things that the church has been going through and, um, and uh, the concerns that's been going on. But now we kind of get to a thing where he's addressing now questions, specific questions that, that the church um, wrote to him. So the church, wrote, the church of Corinth wrote him a letter about these certain issues. Now he's going he's gonna to answer them. And these are uh, specific questions, and they're basically on marriage and on, on celibacy. If you don't know what celibacy is, that's that's refraining or abstaining from any type of sexual relation or marriage. Um, so he was dealing with these, he's now going to answer these questions. You can kind of think of this as like a, maybe a pastor's perspective, right? You guys ever well, listen to K-Wave, the pastor's perspective? People can call in and they have questions about certain things. 
<clears throat> well, this is kind of their version because they didn't have phones back then or Facebook or any type of live chat room sessions, all that stuff. So you know, they have to write letters to each other. Um, so Paul is going to deal with this, and he's going to deal with this issue of, of marriage and celibacy. And uh, before we go you know, get into it, this is, a, this is not a, like a, a full and complete like, systematic teaching on what marriage is supposed to be. You know, he is fielding these, these questions about these topics that they're having. And obviously we do have um, book, uh, or sections in the Bible, especially in Ephesians chapter 5, where Paul kind of talks about this is what marriage is supposed to be. And, and he's not giving a, a teaching here, but he's answering these questions to these, to these believers in regards to that. So we, uh, we jump into chapter 7 again. It says, Now concerning the things about which you wrote, it is good for a man not to touch a wife, not to touch a woman. He should touch his wife, right? That's, that makes sense. But anyway, <clears throat> but he says here, he, 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 in, he enters into this, and the first thing he says, it's good for a man not to touch a woman. He's basically saying in a, in, a, in a sexual relation type of way, right? Of course, we're still dealing with these issues of sexual immoralities. Like we've been, it seems like we've been dealing with this for a while, right? Because this is what Corinth is. It's one of those, those things that it's in the Word of God, and sometimes we can, like, we want to shy away from these things. It's like, oh, man, it's a little awkward. That's kind of... You know, there, these are some sensitive subjects, but this is the Word of God. It's in here. God has it in here for a reason, and uh, it's for us. It's relevant for today, and we need to address these things and go through these teachings. But he says here, it's, it's, it's not good. It, it's, uh, it's good for a man not to touch a woman. In other words, he's saying it's good for a man to abstain from these things and to be in this celibate position of, of celibacy. And right off the get-go, you might think, whoa, whoa, that, that kind of like contradicts what, what God said, right? God made man. He made woman. You know the Genesis story. Right, he made Adam and Eve. He brought the two together. It was God who created marriage. So now why is Paul saying it's good for a man not to touch a woman? Paul, the first thing, Paul is not saying that celibacy or, or abstaining from those things is like a higher form of spirituality. It's like a holier position. And that's what he's trying to get at. And, 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 and vice versa, it's not that, that marriage is the ultimate goal. And if you're not married, then something's wrong with you. Why aren't you married? And we can get like that sometimes in the church. Right, when we see like a young, a younger, young adult or something like that. So, oh, you're such a, a, a holy man of God. You're such a holy, godly woman. And, and why, why don't you have a boyfriend or something? We say those things, what's going on, right? And it's like, well, you know, maybe it's not, maybe it's not that time right now. But we can get to that and we can, and we have, obviously, we have well intentions. It's, um, but sometimes we can get um, to that. It's like if there's a single guy or single girl, then it's like, hey, they need to get married. We become our own uh, ChristianMingle.com into ourselves and have people try to, you know, do those things, or feeling people meet. I don't know if that's even a thing, but hopefully it's not. But anyway, but this is what he's talking about. He's dealing with these issues, and he's saying, but then he says in verse 2, but because of immorality, each man is to have his own wife, and each woman is to have her own husband. And it might sound like he's saying here, he's saying, hey, the, the, the only reason you should get married is because, because of, of, of this physical relationship, just because of, of sex, right? That's, that's what he's saying. It's, it, may, it might sound like he's saying that, but that's not what what he's saying, right? He's saying because of immorality, right? We, again, we know Corinth was this really just perverse society and, and the way and the religion, they had all these, these temples of Aphrodite and all these things that, that the way they engaged in their practice was, was sexual. They had sexual, they had these, these, uh, these temple prostitutes and everything that was there was ingrained in this, the culture was ingrained in this type of lifestyle, so to say that, hey, you, you have to abstain from this altogether, that, that, that was going to be a difficult thing. And he's not saying that, oh, you only get married because you have these, these desires that you need to fulfill, and that's the only reason why you get married. We know that's not the case. 
But he's, again, he's bringing up these issues because these are things they had, they were talking about. See, the, the thing was, their thinking was, well, because, because sexual immorality was such a, a huge issue in the city and it was getting in the church, should we, is, is, it, is it safe to say, Paul, that, that maybe we should like, not do at anything at all, any, any type of physical intimacy or anything, even with husbands and wives? Is, that, is, is being celibate, is being in this position of not doing any of that, is that even better you would say, than, than marriage. And he's trying to say, no, it's not. There, there, and everything in our lives, in the Christian life, there needs to be balance. Right? I, I remember when, um, when Pastor Zeke was teaching in 1 Timothy when we are doing the, the ordination service a couple of weeks ago, he talked about how uh, in this position of, of being a pastor, needs to be a, a, um, he needs to be temperate, which means he needs to be balanced. There needs to be that balance of ministry. There needs to be that balance of home. There needs to be the balance in everything. And that goes the same in regards to this. Because it can be easy after a while for these Christians who are, who are not married, who are celibate, say, hey, it's better you should be doing this and kind of talk down to those who are married Christians. And he's trying to avoid those things because we know that this church was carnal. And because they were carnal, they, they can easily get us, oh, I'm celibate, so I'm holier than you are, you married person. Right? And, and it can easily get like that. And we can get like that in the church as well. We can, be, we can start competing in who's holier in this position or that position. Right? If I'm not on the worship team, I'm not doing that. If I'm not here teaching, I'm not better. Well, if I'm, not, if I'm in a married relationship, then I, I, it's probably better I should not be in that. And he's not saying those things. The, the problem wasn't that. The problem was more that those who were married wanted to be in the single mindset and those who were single wanted to be married, right? It was, it was vice versa. But he's dealing with this. But because of immorality, each man is to have his own wife and each, and each woman is to have her own husband. And I think what we need to do is I was like praying about this and going over this, um, I thought to myself, you know, because that it seems like he's saying, well, that's that's the only thing marriage is good for, is that physical relationship. But it, but it's not. And what I want to do is kind of go back to the beginning, right? In Genesis, read in Genesis. We don't have to turn there, but I'll read it to you. We know the story of creation, or if you don't know, in Genesis chapter one and two, it's the account. Genesis basically is the origins, right? The beginning, and we see that God created everything. He created the heavens and the earth, and then He created man in His own image and in his own likeness. Um, so we go to this, this part, and, and, and he goes back, and the first thing he does after he makes man, he says everything he does, he makes good, right? We know the story. He says he made this, and it was good, and it was a, it was, he made this, and this was good. And then he said he made man, and he said it was very good. But then we see here, after a while, he says he notices man, he looks down, and he sees man, and he says it is not good. For man to be alone, I will make him a helper, a helpmate suitable. And as the story goes, he uh, God has all the animals pass by him, and Adam names all them and says it. But for Adam, it was not found a helpmate suitable for him. And in the story, we see that it was God who noticed these things. It was God who recognized these. It wasn't Adam who was like, "Man, God, I'm so alone right now. Right? I see these two cows, and they look happy. Right? Whatever. I don't know. I don't know. Yeah." But he didn't, he didn't say anything like that. He didn't, he didn't mention anything like, like, oh man, I'm so alone, God, I, I, or anything of that nature. But it was God who's the one who noticed, because God is a God of relationships. We know that God is a, is a triune God. We talk, you, if you've been in the church any length of time, you've heard the term the Trinity. That means we serve one God, but in three, three persons, the Father, God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. God is a God of relationships. And it would make sense that that he would desire for his creation to, to be in the same way. And he, he designed that, he built that within us for relationships. So it said that 
he caused a deep sleep to fall upon Adam, and he took a rib out of Adam, and out of that rib he fashioned a woman, and then he brought the woman to Adam. Beautiful picture, right? And that's how that's how God does His works. He got. Um, we have to understand that God is. He knows our needs. He knows what we need in every aspect of our lives, and He's re- He's ready to to um, fulfill those needs. Notice I said needs and not wants, because sometimes we can get those two mixed up. But it says He brought the woman to the man, and then we have this. Um, if you guys know the story. When Adam sees her, he says, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. And in, in the Hebrew, when you look at that, when you kind of like dissect what that word means, what that, that phrase, it's, it's kind of like, it's basically he's singing over her. He's like so overjoyed that God would bring him this helpmate that he sings over. This is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh. She shall be called woman because she came forth from man. And then we see God kind of go in as well. And, and he said, and now the two shall become one flesh. And it says here that word "one flesh" is it's it's such a um, I don't know a weighty word in in the in the Hebrew. This word "one flesh" it's a it's a Hebrew word. It's ekad, and basically, I mean, I'm, I'm not Hebrew. I don't know if I pronounce that correctly, right? But but it's ekad, and what it means when you read it, it means to be fused together at the deepest levels. It's supposed to go more so than just that physical relation, but that's that's part of what it means. It means when we're one flesh that we're fused together, and it's something that's not supposed to be taken apart. And we understand this if any of us are married, that when we do these marriage, our marriage vows means to death to us, part to sickness and health, through the good and the bad. It's not supposed to be like, oh, until I fall out of love with you, or until my feelings have changed, until someone else better comes along. But it's supposed to be forever, it's supposed to be a commitment, and it's supposed to picture how God desires a relationship with us as, as his creation. But since we're supposed to be fused together, that's what... When we, when we see that, we understand more so what, what God's design is for marriage and, what, and, and, and physical intimacy in marriage. It's supposed to be um, for the married couple, and it's supposed to continue to, to bring them together in oneness. And um, our, when we're going through um, the Rise and Build, or our, our, the, the guys' discipleship classes, we, one of our um, subjects was marriage, and it was awesome that uh, Pastor Zeke gave these three things that marriage is, and I thought they were so good, and I, I want to kind of go over those. So we can kind of get an idea, because sometimes, you know, nowadays, marriage is, um, it's not looked upon as sacred. It's not looked upon as oh, something I don't need to do for, um, for, for us as, as guys and, and girls, and it's, it's being, it's still trying to be even more so redefined. But we need to go back to what God said and His design for it and how it's supposed to function. And one of the things that, that He pointed out, Pastor Zeke, is, uh, he's like, one of the, the things, there's three things that marriage was made for. It was made for procreation, right? God said, be fruitful and multiply. That's one of the reasons, you know, God made Adam and he put him in the garden, right? We know he put him in the garden to work and to keep the garden before he made, made Eve. And then when we, when we look at it, when we understand the story more, when we look at this garden, it wasn't just like a backyard garden that you may have at home, like one person can keep it up. This was like basically the size of a continent. And Adam, it was, it was a job that not one person could do alone. So he made woman his helpmate, right? That's what he says, I'll make him a helpmate suitable for him. But obviously the intention was to be fruitful and multiply so you can have these children, so you can populate the earth and continue that work together. And then we see here because of that where the, we, the, the family unit is introduced. Um, Psalms 127, verses 1 through 5. It says, Unless the Lord builds a house, builds a house, the, workers, the work of the builders is wasted or is done in vain. Unless the Lord protects the city, guarding it with centuries, will do no good. 
It is useless for you to work so hard from early morning until late night, anxiously working for food to eat, for God gives rest to his loved ones. Children are a gift from the Lord. They are a reward from him. Children born to a young man are like arrows in a warrior's hands. How joyful is the man whose quiver is full of them. He will not be put to shame when he comfort, when he's confronted, um, when he confronts his accusers at the gate. And we understand that, that God, <clears throat> he created as well this family union, what it's supposed to be in the progression step, right? That, that we see that, that God made man, that he made woman. Out of man, he brought the woman to the man. And he performed basically what we know as the first kind of marriage service. And then after they had kids. That's a natural progression. That's how it should be. Right? We understand that. For you youth, that's how it should be. That's, that's always a, the advice we should give. Don't date until you're married. I know it's like, what? What does that mean? There's, it just, just uh, it makes sense. Just do it. Right? Or you hear maybe fathers say that. They say, don't date until you're married. Or you can't date until you're married. Then you have kids. That's, that's the natural progression. That's kind of God's rule, not mine. Right? So we, we, we see that first one, right? It's procre- uh, procreation, but then the next one is protection. See, the, the, the world preaches, it, 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 uh, it, um, it preaches safe sex, it preaches contraceptives. I remember growing up, when I was a junior in high school, I went on this tour for a week up, up north to go visit colleges. Um, and one of the colleges I went to, what their students were doing, because they were like promoting safe sex because their whole idea is like, well, everyone's going to do it, so let's, let's, let's show them the safe way to do it. And they're passing out, they're passing out condoms to, to us as juniors. And, and we understand, it, and, and that's, that's done in schools. It's, it's done in the public school system. And it's something that's like, oh, that's, that's awkward. Let's not talk about that. But we need to because it's there. And it's, it's in, it's in our, our children's faces. It's all over the place. And if we don't understand God's design for marriage and God's design for what sex in the physical relationship is supposed to be, it needs to be us who tell our children that because the world is willing and ready to tell them how it should be. And they're willing to give them everything they need for it. And it's not God's way. And we need to understand this. And I remember, I remember that. And, and, you know, that isn't so much promote that. It, all it is is for these kids is for a green light just to go out and, and, and go crazy, basically. And we know because of that, the consequences of that, of that we, we see the repercussions when, when marriage is not, God set these boundaries around what, what a physical relationship is supposed to be like, it's supposed to be in the confines of, of marriage, but when we take it out of that, we see the repercussions, we see the consequences of those things, we see the abortion rate, we see these unwanted pregnancies, we see all these rise and diseases and all these things because God made it a certain way. And it's a protection for us because if we're just with that one person that God has put in our lives to be with, and you know, that, that, uh, that dramatically decreases any any chance of any type of any type of disease or anything like that or any anything. I, I got this uh, this um, <clears throat> statistic and it's actually from an abortion website, but it says this: most women getting abortions, 83% of them are unmarried. 67% have percent have never been married, and 16 are separated, divorced, or widowed. Then it says this at the end, which I thought was interesting: married women are significantly less likely than unmarried women to resolve unintended pregnancies through abortion. Interesting, right? If you're married, there's, there's, there's less of a chance that you're going to resolve an unexpected um, pregnancy through abortion. And I just thought that was interesting. And um, we have, you know, God has these, these safeguards for us through marriage. If, we're, if we do it in the way that he designed it to do it, it's, it's, a, it's an amazing thing. It's a beautiful thing that he has, but it's protection and as well, it's that one, the oneness that comes with marriage. It should be as well as, as an accountability factor. It should be when you're married, you should be able to, um, to be vulnerable around your spouse and vice versa. We should be able to have this closeness. We, 
in the story of Genesis, after they created him, after, after um, Adam sings over his wife, this is now bone of my bone and flesh of my flesh, then God comes in and he says, for this reason, man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. And at the end of that chapter, it says, and the two, they were naked and they were unashamed. And it should be, there, there should be that trust in marriage. There should be that, that, um, that intimacy, that, that unashamedness, if you will. But there should be that protection. It says in Ephesians five twenty one through thirty three, and further submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. For the for wives this means submit to your husbands as to the Lord. For a husband is the head of his wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is a savior of his of his body, the church. As the church submits to Christ, so you wives should submit to your husbands in everything. I know sometimes there's always that that joke when we hear submit, like the veins pop out of the neck. Like, submit. I don't want to do that. For husbands, this means love your wives just as Christ loved the church. He gave up his life for her to make her holy and clean, washed by the cleansing of God's word. He did this to present her to himself as a glorious church without a spot or wrinkle or any other blemish. Instead, she will be holy and without fault in the same way husbands ought to love their wives as they love their own bodies. For a man who loves his own wife actually shows love for himself. No one hates his own body, but feeds and cares for it. Just as Christ cares for the church, and we are members of his body. All scripture says a man, as the scripture says, a man leaves his father and mother and is joined to his wife, and the two are united into one. This is a great mystery, but it is an illustration of the way Christ and the church are one. So again, I say, each man must love his wife as he loves himself and the wife must respect her husband. And we see here again just that protection in marriage, that's serving each other in marriage, and that's how it's supposed to be. And obviously, marriage is made for, and, uh, and the last thing is it's, it's enjoyment, right? It's pleasure. And again, like this is where it kind of maybe gets a little awkward and sometimes, and like, oh man, he's getting, he's getting a little, little crazy there. But that's what it says, and, the, and if we were real with ourselves, God made, you know, God is the one who made, who made this, this part of marriage, sex. He, he made it. He, he's the one who created it and made it, and it should be enjoyable, right? And uh, C.S. Lewis, he's, he said this quote, pleasure is God's invention, not the devil. See, we have to understand, too, that God is a God of pleasure. And before we think, like, well, that sounds weird. No, but we understand that because not just when, when it comes to this physical relationship in marriage, but also in everything, right? A couple of weeks ago, I was on vacation in Yosemite, and uh, if you've ever been to Yosemite, it's, it's one of my most, it's my favorite place to go. Um, just everything that's there, and it's, it's a pleasure to the eyes to see just God's creation. It's amazing. Or, you know, if, you're, if you love food, I love food, right? The God made food delicious, right? That's why we continue to eat it, right? Because that's why I go to In-N-Out all the time, because I love it. It's, it's delicious. It's, it's amazing, right? But God made it. You know, he, he designed us in such a way so we can enjoy those things. So when we, when we eat something or when we look at something, man, that's amazing. We, we have all these things, and, and God made those things for our, for our pleasure. I remember when I was in Bible college, um, Pastor Chuck Smith, at the time he came in, he taught at our Bible college, and he taught on, in Psalms about God's creation and how everything that we see, you know, it was, it was made by God for our pleasure. But sometimes we can get that mixed up and we can begin to, you know, to worship the creation and the creator. He made this example where he's like, when I see a rose, it's like the rose is beautiful. It, 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 smells, it smells nice and it's just awesome to see God's creation. But it's wrong when you see the rose and you start worshiping the rose and say, oh, this is God. And then he's like, no, you fool, that's not God. And if, if you ever heard Chuck Smith's voice, it's just the way he said it. It was just funny. At the time, you probably had to be there, but it was good. It was, but he he makes his illustration and he says that we can do that sometimes, but um, but we have to understand in marriage, 
you know, God made it, God, God made it pleasurable. I have this quote from this, this uh, author. His name is Gary Chapman. And um, he says this, God designed marriage to be the most intimate of all human relationships in which we share life intellectually, socially, emotionally, spiritually, and physically. So you understand God made it, God designed us in a way in that marriage relation for us to be, to be one. And we need to understand that's, that's his design, and it was made in this way. And when we understand God's design for it, then we won't be afraid to maybe so much talk to it with our, with our children because, again, <clears throat> as Pastor Gary pointed out last week, that those are things that, those are issues. You know, um, if we're afraid to, to have these talks with our kids, it, the, the, school, the school system is not afraid to. They're more than willing to teach them how they want to teach them. And we need to be aware of that. We need to know what the Word of God says in regards to this because these are issues. These are things that they're dealing with even now, even as, as young as nine years old. They're dealing with these, these questions and these things that are, that are in their minds, that are in their face at school. And we need to be prepared. We need to know the Word of God in regards to this. But now going on back to verse 3. He says, The husband must fulfill his duty to his wife and likewise the wife to her husband. And they're talking about sexually, right? In the, new, in the New Living Translation, it says it like this. It says, The husband should fulfill his wife's sexual needs and the wife should fulfill her husband's sexual needs. And again, in regards to, to the marriage, we're supposed to serve one another. It's not supposed to be the, the way it used to be thought in the old times. Is, is, is sex was, was a husband's privilege and a wife's duty. And just in that way, but it's supposed to be in, in, in marriage, in all aspects of marriage, we're supposed to serve one another. And that's what he's getting to. The, that's the points that he's making here. Verse 4 says, The wife does not have authority over her own body, but the husband does. And likewise also, the husband does not have authority over his own body, but the wife does. And if we remember back, if you were here with us last week, when Pastor Gary was talking in chapter 6 of 1 Corinthians, he says, or Do you not know that your body is a temple of the Spirit of God who is in you, whom you have from God, and that you are not your own. So you understand last week we, we, we understood the, the idea or the, the truth that our body belongs to God, but in marriage our body also belongs to our spouses. And we need to understand that. See, there's this, um, a lot of reasons why some people don't want to get married because, oh, I lose my identity when, when I get married. Right? It's, um, there's, you, lo- you lose that individuality. And part of that is sure you become one with that with your husband or wife. You're suppo- they're supposed to be this fused together. That word we again, ikad, is supposed to be something that's close. It's supposed to be something that's intimate, and it's supposed to be a beautiful thing from the Lord. But see, um, the devil he likes to distort and to shame and to disface and to taint what God has made beautiful. And, and because of that, we have all these issues that we have. But it's supposed to be in, in Proverbs five fifteen through nineteen. It says this. Drink water from your own well. Share your love only with your wife. Why spill the water of your springs in the streets, having sex with just anyone? You should reserve it for yourself. Never share it with strangers. Let your wife be a fountain of blessing for you. Rejoice in the wife of your youth. She is a loving deer, a graceful doe. It says, let her breast satisfy you always. May you always be captivated by her love. And sometimes we think, like, the Bible says all this stuff? It does. It talks about this. And this is stuff that we need to talk about, but it's in there. And, and uh, Paul is, again, dealing with his issues. And again, what he's dealing with, though, is, is the balanced life. And going on again in verse 5, he says, Stop depriving one another. See, again, the idea that they were having in Corinth 
because they're having so many issues with, with sexual immorality, the thought was, well, maybe we shouldn't even do it at all because it's such a, it's such a, a touchy subject, it's such a thin line, and, and so many people are going over that line and, and doing, um, you know, and, and sinning. And what was happening is now these married couples were, were denying each other that, that part of the relationship because, oh, no, we want to be holy for the Lord. We don't want to fall into any type of temptation, so we're going to stop. And Paul says, no, don't do that. God made it for a reason for you guys. If you're married, you know, don't, don't seek to be unmarried. Right? If you're married, don't, don't deny your spouse. Serve your spouse in that way. And, and um, I heard one commentator put it, we have, it's such an awesome responsibility that God put us that he made only one person for us to, to fulfill those needs to one another. And if we begin to understand what marriage is like that, then um, by God's word, then, then I think that's going to change our outlook on how things are supposed to, to be. But he says that stop depriving one another except for agreement for time so that you may devote yourself to prayer. Right, again, he talks about the balanced life. Right, that, it's, that, that in marriage, sex isn't everything. It's not the only thing it should be. Obviously, it's part of it, but it's not the most important thing. Um, yesterday we had our purity, a purity conference at a, a Calvary Chapel out of Lanto, and we took about 16 kids with us. And I think altogether there was about, I want to say about 60 kids. And uh, the main teacher who taught, he was awesome. He had a, a lot of good things to, to say and a lot of good points. But, um, but see, for us as people, when, you know, when God, you know, God made, um, he says, you know, God made sex, he made the things that God made good, even though they're good, it's not a right for us. It's not, it's not a freedom for us to to go and abuse that or to do it inappropriately, right? God made things that were good and he made them for us, but it wasn't, he, but it's not for us. We don't have any right to, to abuse it or to do it inappropriately or use it any, any other way besides the way that God designed it to, to, to be in. And he talks about that in, in regards to sex. You know, we, we have these purity conferences where we, sh- where we try to tell these kids, hey, God wants you to be pure. God has someone for you. Abstain from all these things. But he says, you know, God made those things to be good, but we need to understand that the, the enemy tries to distort those things and pervert those things, and he's going to do it, and he's very good at doing it. So again, that's why we, that's why we have purity conferences for, uh, for youth kids, because we want them to understand God's word. But going on, he says uh, in verse, um, continuing in verse 6, to devote yourselves to prayer and then come together again so that Satan will not tempt you because of your lack of self-control. See, Paul recognizes that marriage is a legitimate refuge, if you will, from sexual temptation, from sexual immorality. That is okay, you know, to, to get married. Again, it's not the only thing, but it is one of the things, you know, it is part of the relationship, but it, it is a legitimate refuge for that, to, to, to be um, safeguarded from that sexual immorality that's there. But this I say by the way of consention, not command, yet I wish that all men were even as I myself, um, even as I myself am. See, at this time, Paul was a, a single man. And um, some people ask, or the questions always ask, well, was he always single? Was he married at one time? Because before he was a Christian, he was a Pharisee. And also, as we read in the book of Acts, it shows that he was part of the Sanhedrin which was like the ruling kind of body in the Jewish community. And one of the things that we see from history, from, from the facts back then, that, that um, the Sanhedrin, one of the, a couple of the, the prerequisites to be, to be in the Sanhedrin was you had to be married and you had to have children. So the question is asked, like, well, if Paul was married, what happened to his wife? What happened to his kids? Um, the Bible's silent. We don't really know what happened. We don't know if maybe, maybe when he came to the Lord, maybe you know, since he was such a strict um, Jew and a strict Pharisee. Maybe his wife was equally as strict. So when he turned to Christianity, maybe 
Maybe she left him. I don't, you know, it doesn't say we can, we, we can speculate, but we don't know. But we know at this time he was a single man, and he tells, he tells him, I say this by consension, not by command, right? And what he's saying here is that, hey, you know, you know take some time off from, from the, you know, basically from the bedroom and pray. You know, so don't just do it all the time, but just but take that time off, but come back together. And he says, hey, I'm sending by consention and not by command. But obviously we know that he's being inspired by the word of God, and this is God's word. He says, Yet I wish that all men were even as I myself am. However, each man has his own gift from God, one in this manner and one in another. And I know so far we've kind of been talking a lot about marriage, but he does talk about celibacy. Um, I want to read you guys a verse in Matthew chapter 19, where Jesus even talks about this in Matthew 19, verses 10 through 12. Um, if I can set the stage real quick, you know, Jesus, he's being asked by these Pharisees. He says, they come to him one day and say, Jesus, is it, is it okay, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for any reason at all. And the reason they asked is because the school of thought in this time where there was these two rabbis, these two kind of like head rabbis, one was Rabbi Shammai and the other was Rabbi Hillel. One of them was very conservative in the interpretation of a, a verse in Deuteronomy chapter 24 where Moses, he gives the, the children of Israel, he gives them, he permits them to uh, give, to write certificates of divorce for one another basically. He permits them to do that. And then their interpretation of this, one of the one of the rabbis, his name was Shammai. He has this. He was more of the conservative side, so he's like, well, this only means the only way that he can that you can divorce one another is because of adultery or unfaithfulness. And we would all say that probably makes sense. That sounds right. But then this other guy, Hillel, Rabbi Hillel, he he was more on the liberal mindset. He's like, well, he 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 interpreted this very loosely. He's like, well, it says you know he can he can put her away for for basically anything, not just. Adultery. He can, you know, a man can could uh, divorce his wife if if she talks back to him. Divorce. She's done, right? If she if she doesn't cook well, oh, she's she's really done. I'm done, right? And 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 you can and you, and all these things. That's that's basically. It sounds silly. It sounds like that. That sounds kind of kind of a little you know far fetched or whatever. But but that's what we see here. That that, that was that was the, the the thought. And obviously, as you would um um as you would guess, a lot of people sided more with. Rabbi Hillel and Shammai, and they were like, "Well, yeah, that sounds good. I can divorce my wife for anything, right? For basically anything I want to." And and then then Jesus says, "No, it's not supposed to be." The, the first thing that Jesus tells them, he's like, "Have you not read?" I like how Jesus says that because he's basically like shaming them, right? Because these are the Pharisees; they're the ones that are supposed to know the Bible or you know the Word of God. And he basically says, hey, "Don't you know your own? Don't you know your own Bible or the Word of God? Don't you know what it says?" That that um because he, he says he says, "No, it's not that way." In the beginning, God made them man and male and female and and he brought them together, and he made them one flesh. And then they say, well, well why did what Moses command them to give them a certificate of divorce? And then he corrects them. He says, he didn't command them. He, he said, he gave them permission to do it because of your hardness of hearts. That's why. Because they were so and stubborn and, and, and set in their ways, and I had hardened hearts that they were like, no, this is what needs to happen, Moses. But he says, but it wasn't that way from the beginning. And he says that, he, Jesus basically says, if any man leaves his wife or vice versa and any for any reason besides adultery then then they're in sin they're wrong and then in verse we come to this verse in chapter 19 of matthew 10 through 12 jesus disciples <coughs> said to him if this is the case it is better not to marry um, it is better not to marry at all and then jesus says, not everyone can accept can accept the statement but you see the disciples mind set of mind they're so pretty much set with this rabbi halal like, well, if that's the case, if I can't just divorce my wife for anything, then why get married? And then you see their mindset was kind of distorted, right? 
But Jesus says, not everyone can accept the statement. Jesus said, only those whom God helps. Some were born as eunuchs. Some have even been made eunuchs by others. And some choose not to marry for the sake of the kingdom of heaven. Let anyone accept this who can. So basically, he's talking about a celibate lifestyle. And, and what Paul says here as well, that it's a gift from God. Again, we can get to this point where, where we talk so much about about marriage and like, oh, you need to get married, you need to be fruitful and multiply. You know, God commanded us in His Word, but we have to understand God also said that for some, that it was, it was, it's, it's for them. It's a gift for them to be celibate, and they're okay with that. And we can, we can be caught up in those things when we see someone, you know, a young single guy, young single girl in the church, and like, oh, why aren't you married? You're like, hey, well, like, did you ever? What about this guy over here? You know, whatever the case may be, we can do that, and that's not for the most part wrong. But sometimes, sometimes we can. Uh, overstep our boundaries sometimes or we can kind of push God's will on someone when it's not supposed to be that way. But he's saying this is, this is a gift from God. This is something that's legitimate. This is something that some people have. And, and that's the case because there's some, right? There, there's things that, that people who are single can do that I can't do because I'm married, because I have responsibilities in my family. I can't just go off for like a month or three months or so on a mission trip because I have a family at home that I have, to, I have to provide for, I have to be there for, and I have to raise. And that's what called me to do, and that's okay. And there's those who can go, and they can just go off and be free and go and do these things for the Lord. And it says here, there are some who don't get married for the kingdom of heaven, you know, to gain ground for the kingdom. And that's what we've been talking about, you know, that, that was Pastor Zeke's vision, you know, to go there for. And sometimes there's, there's those who are, who are single who don't have that responsibility, who don't have that, and they can just go. And that's awesome. And, and, and as we continue on in the book of Corinthians, when we get to chapter 12, when we start talking about spiritual gifts, we start talking about the body, how the body has, the body has, everyone has different functions in the body. There's some who are married, there's some who are not, and that's okay. That's how the body's supposed to function. Or we can say, you know, he, Paul says it, he says, because I'm an ear, I have no, I have no use, right? Because I'm a hand, I'm not a foot, or whatever the case may be. Right? So no, we all have a function in the body of Christ. There's a reason why God made us the way, designed our bodies the way, so we can function and do things. And it goes the same way in the church. There are those who are married who serve the Lord in their capacity and those who are single who serve the Lord in their capacity. And that's how it's supposed to be. But what they were doing is they were, they were, starting, to, they were starting to get to this point where like, well, it's probably better to be celibate. It's probably, it's probably more holier to do this because of everything that's going on in the church. <clears throat> but, he says, um, but he says here, each man has his own gift from God, one in this manner and another in that. So we know that Paul was was single, and he, you know that that was that was a preference that he said, "Hey, you know, if you're single, stay single." That's probably what he would say. <laughs> if you came, if if you're single and you came up to the Paul, Paul would say, "Lord, uh, you know, Paul, I want to pray because I'm single." He's like, oh, "Stay single then. We don't need to pray. Just stay single. It's fine, right?" But that's, it seemed like that's what he preferred. But he says in verse eight, "But I say to the unmarried and to the widows that it is good for them if they remain even as I. But if they do not have self-control, let them marry, for it is better to marry than to burn with passion." And again, he gets to that point. There's some who are called to this life of celibacy, but there's some who aren't. Maybe they think they are, but they say, oh, I'm supposed to be single, but I really want to be married. And you're probably, that's probably not your gift then, to be celibate, right? To be single. And sometimes we joke around in the church, oh, I have a gift of celibacy. I don't want that. And we can joke around about it, but, but that is a gift from the Lord. And it's something that, that for some, that's, that's what God has called them to. He says, but if you don't have self-control, he's not so much saying just about, you know, just because I have, you know, these, these needs that need to be fulfilled, but it's like, hey, I want to get married. I, I desire that God has put that in into us for companionship. And for some, he's given the gift of celibacy. And, and those who desire to be married, God is, is calling them that. And there's going to be that desire for that, not just for you know, the, 
the, the sexual gratification, but because they desire that companionship. God has built that into each and every one of us for relationships. Not just in the marriage capacity, but, but that's what he's referring to here. Say, if you, if, you, if you have that desire, then, then get married. Right? Unless you fall into temptation, because if you don't, you continue to have those desires. The, the enemy knows how to work on those things, how to make those, those, those God-given desires. He knows how to distort them. And he's saying that, hey, if you, if you need to get married, then get married. If that's what God has called you to, then do it. Get married and, and, and uh, fulfill God's calling in your life. That's basically what he's saying here. <clears throat> Verse 10 says this, But to the married I give instruction, not I but the Lord, that the wife should not leave her husband. But if she does leave, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and that the husband should not divorce his wife. And again, we see here this is what was going on. After a while, the, the church started thinking these married these married couples in the church. They started thinking, "Say, like, well, we're just going to get divorced so we can be more holier, so we can be more more uh, you know, more useful to the Lord if we're uh, if we're single." That's basically what's happening. They're trying to say, "Oh, is it okay, Paul, for us as a Christian married couple to get divorced because now we can be single now we can just be totally devoted to the Lord?" And Paul says, "No, right? That that totally contradicts God's word. We know that God hates marriage, and Jesus said, what, what, what God has brought together, let no man separate.'" We understand that, but see, they were so caught up in, 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 the, in the, the culture at that time, they're like, well, maybe it's better if we do this, and he's trying to say, no, it's not. Stay married. That's what God has for you. And again, it was, it was as well, I'm sure some of it was like, well, you know, hey, this, this is a way I can get out of this marriage because I, I, I hate that bum or something like that. You know, we, and, and it was easy for them to get like that. They say, no, you can't, don't do that. But if you, if, you do, if you do do it, if you get unmarried, then, hey, you need to remain unmarried. And he, again, he's trying to like, Avoid those those ones who are just trying to get out of the the marriage just because they're maybe they're just tired of it maybe like they want something fresh and new, and that's in our culture nowadays, right? It, it's not till death do us part. It's till till I fall out of love until something else better comes along. There's no commitment. There's no devotion. It's only it's it's all based just on feelings. Obviously, feelings emotions are part of it, but 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 those things they they're not sustainable. It's not a foundation to build on it. If our marriage is cemented on Jesus Christ, that's what's going to last. It's going to get you guys through the hard times. In the good times, and I know I haven't been married as long as some of you, but um, just dealing with things that we dealt with in our marriage, if we didn't have Christ, you know, I, I don't know how the picture would have turned out. But um, you know, we've had to deal with a lot of things with our children, with sicknesses and stuff. But God got us through that because we we our marriage was founded on Jesus Christ, and not just on our feelings, not just because you know she was beautiful and I and I wanted her to be mine, basically, right? But, I, but it was because we love Jesus and we, we cemented it on that and not just our feelings and our emotions. But he says that here, he says, but, but she does not leave. Um, but if she does leave, she must remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband and that the husband should not divorce his wife. And again, that's, this was a thing that was going on. You know, and if you remember back in 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 1 and 2, they boasted about their wisdom. Or they had all this wisdom, but like their wisdom was so worldly and it was it was so backwards in regards to what what god says they claim to have this wisdom but they didn't know god's word when say hey you know you're not supposed to divorce god says god hates divorce what would uh what god had brought together no man separate and we can we can start doing those things we can start kind of like say oh what about this 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 and that and again this isn't um a full, complete teaching on marriage but again he's going over questions specific questions they hit and he's just trying to fill these questions for them but um but he, but he has to deal with that. Hey, you know, divorce because the divorce rate is is half, right? That that's staggering, right? Even in the church, it's it's it it seems like it's it's still that way. It's it's fifty fifty. If you were to flip a coin, 
and whatever it is that that's kind of that's the statistic wise that's, that's how marriages are if you get into a marriage that the statistics show that half of them are going to end a divorce so you have a 50 50 chance and that's like man that's kind of like the odds aren't in your favor but obviously we know that if we're in christ jesus if we're founded upon him then we're going to um then it's going to last if we if we commit ourselves to the Lord, if we go into marriage not seeking our own gratifications, our own, it, it's not just for us. And I've heard this said before, I thought it was true that marriage isn't for you, but it's for your spouse because we're supposed to serve them. And if we go in with that mindset, then I think our marriage is going to be successful. It's going to last. And going on here, he says, but to the married, oh, excuse me, verse 12, but to the rest I say, not the Lord, that if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she and she consents to live with him, he must not divorce her. And a woman who has an unbelieving husband and he consents to live with her, she must not send her, uh, she must not send her with, um, sorry, I'm messing up here. She must not send her husband away. For the unbelieving husband is sanctified through his wife and the unbelieving wife is sanctified through her husband, her believing, uh, her believing husband. For otherwise your children are unclean, but now they are holy. Yet if, uh, if the unbeliever, if the unbelieving one leaves, let him leave. The brother or sister is not under bondage in such cases, but if God has called us to peace. For how do you know, O wife, whether you will save your husband? And how do you know, O husband, if you will, whether you save your wife? And obviously this is something that, that speaks to some of us today because that's what was happening in the church. They, they came into the marriage relationship, or they got saved, but maybe their spouse didn't get saved. It's like, well, should I even be with this person? Because we know the Bible says, don't be unequally yoked. Am I supposed to divorce this person? And, and Paul says, no. And when he says here that, when he says here, uh, this, but the, to the rest I say and not the Lord, he's not saying, Paul's not saying here that this is just his own thinking, but this is something that God, when, that Jesus didn't teach in, you know, in the Gospels. We don't read anything about like oh, a, a married person, an unmarried person. How, how should that, you know, when the couple, one of them is saved and the other's not saved, I mean, how do we deal with that? But he's dealing with this issue and he's saying, hey, if, if they're unbelieving, you, you stay with them because. You don't know what God is going to do. God is going to work in you he's, he, because you don't know if by your testimony, by your witness, by you continue to be faithful to the Lord, even though they don't want to be, even though they may nag you every day, even though they may give you a hard time because you go to church or try to discourage you all the time, you stay with them. Um, um, there was a, a lady, um, she was actually a realtor when we were buying her house, and she was a Christian woman, and she was an awesome lady, but I know a couple of times like, you know, she, we pray with her, because her husband was, um, he didn't, he didn't have any relation with the Lord. He didn't want anything to do with it, and um, he was just, you know, he just had a foul mouth, and he was just always just giving her a hard time. And uh, she's like, and you know, sometimes she would kind of start tearing up. She's like, it's hard. I have really hard days, but I know God wants me to stay with Him because I know God wants to save Him, and He wants to use me, and I have to, I have to, I have to stay with Him. And and she said too, because I love Him too, and she wants Him to be reconciled to the Lord and brought to the Lord and that's that's a that's an awesome thing and and we see that in in situations and you know obviously Paul here is speaking on these specific situations he's not dealing with every single detail because every single marriage is different every single issue thing is different he doesn't go into detail about everything but he's talking about these issues here and he's saying is that hey you don't know that if you as you continue with your with your unbelieving spouse and you continue to be that witness and continue to serve them and God is going to do work. God is faithful to do those things. It says in um, 1 Peter 3, 1 and 2, In the same way you wives must accept the authority of your husbands, then even if some refuse to obey the good news, your godly lives will speak to them without any words. They will be won over by observing your pure and reverent life. Isn't that the truth? Sometimes I've heard it said that 
that at all times we need to preach the gospel and then when necessary use words. Right? Our, our whole life is supposed to be the gospel of Jesus Christ. Our whole life is supposed to represent Jesus. Um, but even in, not even so much in, in marriage, in our marriage relations, but even when we work, sometimes we can get to this point. It's like, oh, I can't, I, I hate being around all these unbelievers because all they do is cuss. You know, I wish I was just in the, you know, in, in this, in this certain situation and, and where I don't have to deal with all these things. But we have to remember that God has us there for a reason. God wants to use us. And I remember when I, when I was, when I was working, um, at my job, and sometimes, like, man, the, the things they say, and it's like, it's just, it's discouraging. It's sometimes hard, and it can, like, it can just wear you down and discourage you big time, but God has us there for a reason. There's so many times where, where, you know, I was working, and one of the guys came up to me and said, hey, I know you're a Christian and everything. I, I noticed you don't cuss. He's like, hey, you know, can, can I talk to you about this? And I was like, oh, okay, and it was just like, you know, these, these hard guys who, you know, who, who have these, who put on these hard, uh, you know, facades, but, you know, instead they're, they're struggling with life, and, and God used me to, to pray with them and to minister to them. And we don't, we don't realize that sometimes we can be so caught up in our own things and what we're dealing with. We understand that God has called us for his glory. God has called us to, to be used. And even in those marriages where one is saved, the other isn't, God wants to use us in this situation. But he does say if that unbelieving self, they want to leave, like you're not under bondage. You're not in sin. You're not like, oh, they divorced. Oh, man, I, I messed up. It's like, well, no, they want to leave. And, and, you know, we need to be called to peace. And if they leave and... and you know, you're not under that, that, um, you know, that any type of sin or anything like that. It's, and, and that's what he's saying there. And, um, and so he ends with that. And he's in just that last verse, which just spoke to me so much. Um, you know, you don't understand, you don't know a wife, whether you will save your husband or a husband, whether you will save your wife. And we need to understand that every, every, every chance we get, we're a witness to Jesus Christ in every aspect, everywhere we go, our conduct and everything, it's, it glorifies God. But as we kind of wrap it up here, um, just two things, again, I wanted to go over. That, uh, you know, physical intimacy is a beautiful and blessed thing in the sight of God. That as married couples, we should desire to serve each other in these areas. We belong to one another. God desires you to be one, to show oneness that he desires with us. Because he desires us in a married relation to be one because he desires oneness with us. We shouldn't rob each other of that. And for those who uh, are single and this gift of celibacy, it's from the Lord. It's not a curse. It's nothing to be ashamed about. God has called each of us. And sometimes we spend too much time worrying about other people's gift and callings and we need, and instead of worrying about fulfilling our own. And then to your youth, because obviously I do teach the youth, so maybe we need to talk about that. Seek God, right? Get accountability. One thing that's always been an issue is when we're at church, we have our friends at church. We have our youth group, and we hang around them. And some of these kids we even see at school. But at school, it's a different story. We have different friends. Right? We don't hang around with our same friends that we hang around with youth group at school. We kind of sometimes make it act like we don't know each other because maybe we know we're, we're hanging out with a crowd we shouldn't hang around with. But as, as uh, you youth, surround yourselves with, with godly friends who are going to lift you up. Right? Sometimes we, uh, we have friends that we follow on, on Instagram or Facebook or something. Right, that we, we probably shouldn't be hanging around with or if our parents knew we were hanging around with the person be like, hey, why are you hanging around with this guy or this girl? Why are you talking to them? And maybe they, they check your, your Facebook friends or something we delete them real quick or unfollow them. Oh, I don't want mom and dad to see that. Right, I wonder why we do those things because we, we know that those things are wrong. We know that, that the, those relationships are going to bring us down. Right? The Bible says bad company corrupts good morals. So for you youth, continue in the Lord. Come to youth group. We have it back there all the time to hang out. We want to lift you guys up. We want to 
we, we, our desire is to draw each other closer to Jesus. So with that, let's pray and we'll be done. Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your goodness, Lord. Um, I know this was a, an interesting subject, uh, things that, that, that are in your word that, that need to be dealt with in the church. And Lord, I pray that, Lord, you would just speak to us, God. You would just be um, glorified, Lord. You would teach us, Lord, that, that Lord, marriage is such a beautiful thing, Lord. And, and, and sometimes uh, we get caught up and we get a, in a routine and, and some things get old and, and just... And uh, we get set in our ways. And whatever the case may be, Lord, but I pray that you would just um, Lord, rekindle that fire in people's marriages. Lord, that you would, they would just be a marriage that glorifies you, God, and, and that they would understand, Lord, that they would serve one another, Father. And Lord, as well, for the, those who are single, Lord, who may be desiring that, Father, and know that that's, that's their gift, their calling, Lord, that they would fulfill that, Lord, that you want to use each and every one of us, Lord, you want to use as a body, Lord, and in a healthy, functioning body, they, they, the reason that it's that way is because they, everyone knows their calling, everyone knows the role, the role that they're called to, God. So, Lord, just be with us, Lord, and we love you, we praise you, we lift this up to you in your name. Amen.